0: Hey everyone, it's Bill Thompson, T-Bill, and welcome to Plain Market Talk. Today is Tuesday, October 19, 2021. Okay, so we're gonna talk about today, we have our first cryptocurrency ETF now trading, so I'll explain what that is. Uh, we have some market news we're gonna look at. Also, I'm gonna talk more about stock order types today, fill or kill orders, immediate or cancel orders, as well as special conditions, uh, do not reduce uh all or none, minimum quantity. And what I'm also gonna spend a few minutes talking about today is an event that happened 34 years ago today, October 19, 1987. It was the stock market crash of of 1987. Uh, I was actually on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange when it happened, so I'll give you some of my uh, recollections as to what actually went on that day. Okay, so first of all, the markets are up uh, right now. Let's see, it's 3.24 in the afternoon, so we got a little more than half an hour to go. So far, October's actually been a pretty good month for the market, and what's happening is we're now in corporate earnings season, and o- overwhelmingly, the companies that have been reporting are reporting good numbers. Um, sales numbers are good, profit numbers, they're giving good uh, forecasts, so that's helping prop up the market. So we have that going on. But probably the big news everybody's looking at today is uh, a cryptocurrency ETF now trading uh, called the uh, Bitcoin Strategy um, ETF. So what does that mean? Well, last time I talked about what an ETF is, exchange traded fund. Uh, basically, think of it like a mutual fund that you can trade in the middle of a market trading day. A mutual fund's where a whole bunch of investors pool their money together, and then a portfolio manager or managers uh, then invest the money, um, you know, in stocks, bonds, some combination. Uh, although we also have what are known as unmanaged index funds, which I'll talk about mutual funds in detail another time. Okay. Uh, But mutual funds price once a day uh, after the market closes, called net asset value. It's the total value of the investments divided by the number of shares that make it up. What an exchange traded fund is, it's basically uh, similar to a mutual fund, except it trades like a stock, which means you can buy and sell it in the middle of a trading day. Now, the other thing with ETFs, mutual funds price on net asset value. It's a mathematical calculation. However, during upwards-moving stock markets, bull markets, uh, ETFs can actually trade above their underlying net asset value at a premium and in bear markets, downwards-moving markets at a discount below net asset value. Okay. Well, what about what we got going on here today? Okay, so we got this new exchange-traded fund. Uh, It's called the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF. So it's got a long name. All right. It's trading symbol, it trades on NASDAQ, is B-I-T-O, Boy, Ida, Tom, Oscar, B-I-T-O, okay. Well, what it does, it trades in what are called Bitcoin futures contracts. Now, I mentioned the other day, I'm gonna be covering futures over several lessons. I'll talk about everything from agricultural futures, pork bellies, corn futures, wheat, all that stuff, to financial instrument futures contracts, treasury futures and so forth. Uh, Also stock index futures, S&P 500 index futures contracts and so forth. All right, that'll be another lesson, all right. When I mentioned last time what a futures contract is, uh, you you are actually committing to buy or sell something at a future date. Unlike an options contract where you don't have to do it, futures contract, you're committing to do it. Uh, An easy example, if you think you might be up for a promotion at a job or getting a new job with a big increase in salary, and you see this house you've had your eye on that's for sale, with an options contract, you might ask the owner, can you hold this house at a guaranteed price for me for a month? Um, and in an options contract, you would then maybe you would pay them for the privilege, maybe a thousand dollars. But if you don't get the promotion, you don't have to do it. It was your option. That, that's basically an options contract. Uh, with a futures contract, you are making a commitment to buy that house on a future date. So that's that's the difference. But we'll talk about futures. They're highly leveraged. In other words, usually mostly borrowed money. And I'll use the example of that famous movie, Trading Places, with Eddie Murphy. Like, what actually happened with that? So, all right, but that would be another day. All right, so but anyway, what this thing is, markets are looking at this. The first ETF that trades bitcoins uh, or any cryptocurrency Okay, came out at $40 a share, I think $40.07 earlier today. And it's up some, but it's not going gangbusters. Uh, it looks like the market's taken a somewhat wait and see approach with it. Right now, it's at $41.43 a share, up 2.22%. So it is up some. It looks like today it's been as high as, uh, came out at $40.07. At least that looks like it might have been the opening trade. I think that's what it came out at. Uh, it's been as high as $42.15, pulled back to $41.43. All right, so we'll see what goes on with that. However, Bitcoin itself has gotten a big push on this news. So Bitcoin, that, you know, I've talked about cryptocurrencies in the past. By the way, if you are interested in learning more about cryptocurrencies, uh, go back and listen to my session from August 3rd. On that session, I, I talked about you know, what are cryptocurrencies. I explained data mining, blockchains, all that stuff. I will cover it again in upcoming sessions, but I covered it pretty extensively in that August 3rd session. So if you haven't listened to it and are interested, check it out. Anyway, Bitcoin right now, $63,753. So it, it, it's up there. It's the near record highs. I think 65,000 or so near is near nearest record. But anyway... So uh, getting a push there. So again, cryptocurrencies in general are very volatile. Uh, I still put them in the area of speculation investments because of their volatility. But I keep an open mind to new things. I don't want these people to say there's no future for it. Let, let's see. Let's see. I think the uh, it could be, but it could. a lot of things can still happen. All right, so... We have that news going on, all right, so keep an eye on, on that one, uh, that new cryptocurrency ETF that is out there. Okay, what else we have going on here today? And we'll talk about that stock market crash. Um, yeah, it seems like the auto manufacturers are now just big, big jumping into electric vehicles. You know, Tesla's doing real well, there's a few others out there now, Rivian with the trucks, about to go public also. Um, you know, talk about them uh, recently, but I'm seeing an article here. It says automakers are now spending billions to localize production of battery cells to meet what's expected to be a rapid adoption in electric vehicles. Yeah, I'm seeing some numbers now that here in the United States, right now, only about five percent of new 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 vehicles that are sold are electric. However, that number is expected to jump to 30% by 20, thirty percent by 2039 years from so now. And my guess, it might even be faster than that. So. Um, But I wanted to mention that about the supply chain issues. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you've heard it on the news. You got ships backed up in docks, uh, not enough truck drivers. You got factories overseas closed. And it's really hurting a lot of of companies. Uh, And I think you're going to see an acceleration now of something that was happening anyway beginning to move to factories and supply um, chains back into the United States. Other countries are going to be doing the same thing. That process was underway already. What was the reason a lot of manufacturing went overseas? Well, cheaper labor. I mean, that's basically it. If you had a factory you wanted to open in the United States, and you're going to have to pay the workers $20 an hour, and then you got another country overseas somewhere where your workers are making $2 an hour. It, it it was a big advantage, but then you got to look at the shipping to move stuff. Well, now these countries, as their economies are maturing, these workers are well aware. Well, why am I working for $2 an hour when workers over here are getting 20? So they're demanding and getting higher wages. So it's no longer... Uh, having factories overseas the advantage that it once was. I mean, it still is somewhat of an advantage in places like uh, v- Va- factories in Vietnam, Indonesia, and so forth. But you're beginning to see the uh, manufacturing facilities moving back here. And now with all this going on, I think you're going to see a lot more of that happening. So I wanted to mention that. Okay, so we got that. Uh, I saw an article about coal uh, for power. you know, using coal for power plants Uh, They said it's on the rise for the first time since 2014. All right, so here's the thing with coal. The United States has some of the world's largest reserves of coal. It is one of the three fossil fuels with oil, natural gas, and coal. Uh, I I read a number not too long ago, a couple years back, I guess. Even if we stopped using oil and natural gas completely, uh, and projecting out future energy needs in the United States, we still have about a 300-year supply of coal. We we have a lot of coal in this country. Problem is it pollutes. That That's the problem. I mean, imagine just, think about your barbecue, even not your charcoal, but still, you know, the smoke that comes out. Uh, well, that's a problem with coal, but, uh, and there's a lot of environmental regulations in place. Uh, but uh, it is saying here, uh, according to this article I'm reading, uh, US coal fired uh, power generation expected to surge by 22% this year. So uh, we're seeing that going on. So, anyway, so uh, keep an eye on what's going on there. And obviously, electric vehicles future nuclear fusion power, everything else can throw a whole damper in this. But anyway, all right, so we got that going on. I have seen people say on occasion, we're running out of energy. No, we're actually not, but, um, you know, it it may change in the future how we get our energy. All right. Uh, Over at the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, Chairman Gary Gensler said today, he said they are working to determine a payment for order flow needs to be reformed or barred. Okay, I've talked about this in the past, and what it is, uh, companies like Robinhood, and they're not the only one, there are others, they don't have their own people on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange or have NASDAQ market makers. So what they do when orders come to Robinhood, they send it to other firms that would then execute the trades. Well, those firms pay Robinhood and other firms to send those orders to them. That is called payment for order flow. That's how Robinhood and other companies can offer zero commissions. Okay, uh, and again, I emphasize, like I've done in the past, there's nothing illegal about this. It's completely within regulations. However, there's this question sometimes, are these brokerage firms, the retail brokerage firms that deal with the investors, are they sending the the orders to the place where they can be best filled or are they sending to where they're being paid the most? So that's payment for order flow. Uh, The way those market makers, uh, exchange uh, traders make their money, they are making it on the difference between the buy and selling price of stocks, bid and ask, the spread as it's called. So, all right, so keep an eye on that. Well, let's um, see what happens there. Let's see what else we got. Okay, last couple of things now. I know we'll talk about stock market crash. Um, All right, so we've talked about market orders, limit orders, stop orders, and stop limit orders. We have a couple of others. Uh, One is called a fill or kill order. It's not that common an order, but it is out there. Here's how it works. Let's say you got a stock that the asking price is $30 a share, and it's getting near to the end of the trading day, uh, and you know that the company's going to report their earnings after the close. And as an investor, you'd like to own the stock. You think the earnings are going to be good. Okay, but you don't want to pay $30 a share. Uh, You're going to try to save a little bit, so maybe you put an offer in at $29.90 a share. Well, Bill, that sounds like a limit order. No, uh, here's what this is. You need an immediate answer from who's ever on the other end, a NASDAQ market maker, a New York Stock Exchange trader, because if the, you need to know, are you going to be able to get this stock at that price, yes or no? And if not, then you're going to have to decide what you want to do before the market closes. So what you do, you send an order, fill or kill. You're asking thirty dollars. I'm willing to pay twenty nine ninety. Say for a thousand shares or ten thousand shares. It's usually done on bigger amounts of money. I mean, bigger um, orders to make you make it worth it. All right. So fill it or kill it. So then what happens is on the other end they will either fill the order at your offer, you know twenty nine dollars ninety cents, or they will say no and kill the offer. Fill or kill. Uh, now what an immediate or cancel order is, it's similar. However, you're willing to take a partial fill. So say it's a thousand shares you're trying to buy. With fill or kill, it's all or none. Will you take this or will you not? So it's either you get all 1,000 shares or the order's killed, you get zero. Immediate or cancel, you're saying, I'll take whatever you can give me. So the trader may send back to you, look, I'll fill 400 shares at that price, and then they cancel the rest of the order. So that's immediate or cancel, all right, so that is. Not too hard, actually. Okay, special conditions. Not being filled or killed. Just a normal order. All or um, all or none. Basically, you will not take partial fills on a trade. Uh, This could be a limit order. uh, It could be a market order. Uh, The idea, though, of uh, you you want all the shares at the price you're designating uh, or nothing. It it is mostly used on limit orders. Occasionally, a market order with a very thinly traded stock. But anyway, the difference between fill or kill uh, and and all or none is all or none can stay out there for a while. It's not immediately canceled. Especially if it's a, uh, some type of limit order, uh, it could stay out there for the rest of the day, good till cancel. But that's uh, all or none. Uh, minimum quantity is uh, what that says is well, at least give me this many shares. I, I don't want to. It's a thinly traded stock. I want to buy a thousand shares, but um, don't fill it in lots of less than say three hundred shares. Uh, It had to do back in the day with the multiple commissions that brokerage firms would charge on on filling multiple parts of an order over separate days. Uh, But anyway, that's minimum quantity. And then what do not reduce is, uh, here's what this one is. Uh, Let's say you have a stock that is trading at $50 a share, and you want to buy it at $45 a share by limit, order if it goes down to $45. All right, what a dividend is, is a cut of the company's profits. So I'll I'll use a big number to make it easy. Imagine a company is going to pay out a $1 a share dividend, cut of the profits. Well, when the day comes that uh, an investor can no longer get the dividend, called the ex-dividend date, all things being equal, the stock price drops uh, by $1 a share, say from $50 to $49. What normally happens, your limit order to buy at 45 is also adjusted downwards to $44 a share. So anyway, that's automatic, but occasionally investors don't want that to happen. They want it to stay at $45. So that's where Do Not Reduce comes in. Uh, it's used a lot of times by investors that are trading off of charts, and their chart shows 45 is the magic price. So anyway, I'll talk about this stuff a little more another day, but that gives you an idea what those various orders and conditions are. All right, so the last few minutes, um, all right, 1987, here's what happened. Uh, By the mid-'80s, we were seeing what's called program trading beginning to to, uh, come into the market. What this was was big financial institutions were programming their computers that if the stock markets went down a certain percent, immediately just sell everything, I mean, Sometimes it wasn't everything, it could be partial. Let's just say sell everything. That's called program trading. In other words, computers were sending the orders in. They could also do it on the buy side also. Uh, They were also doing what's called arbitrage, which was uh, find the same investment trading for two prices, two different locations. I'll talk about arbitrage another day, all right. But that's what program trading was. So what happened in October 1987, I remembered it was Friday, we had some bad news about, I don't even remember what it was, it was so long ago, economic earnings news, stuff just never changes. there's always something going on. All right, anyway, so the markets were down quite a bit on Friday, and I remembered that. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down, oh, if I remember, it, it was down something like 8 or 9, 10%, it was, it was a lot. So then we get to Monday, all right, Monday, October 19th, 1987. I remembered it was like quarter to nine in the morning and we are looking at all our indicators and they are showing red everywhere. Markets down, 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 uh, futures contracts down, options on indexes down, um, orders just coming in. So the markets open quite a bit down. Uh, If I remember, the Dow Jones Industrial Average um, Back then, uh, I'm trying to remember the level that it was at, but whatever it was at, I mean, the markets suddenly went down 10% on the open, and uh, all of a sudden, what began to happen, we began to see, I don't think it was 10%, it was like 7% or 8%, we began to see the program trade starting to come in. One computer would send orders in, sell all these stocks. That would drive the markets down then what would happen is that would trigger the next computer, okay, now that one's been triggered uh, to start sending cell orders in. And it began to trigger one after the other. And for the only time that I remembered um, in my career, we had lost control of the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, it happened in late October 1929 also. Um, Not computers, it was other reasons. I'll talk about that crash another day. But anyway, so what happened, uh, the markets began to just go down, down, down. And I mean, traders were actually losing it on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I had them running up to me, grabbing my jacket, and were just shaking me, Bill, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? It was, the market, it's just one program after another is being triggered, uh, one computer after another. You know what I finally said to my friend, Sid? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm watching this thing. The whole thing's collapsing. You know, I'm gonna, my career is over. Uh, I'm like, well, this is the whole the end of the financial system of the United States, next Great Depression. I'm out of work. I just said, to heck with it. You know what? I'm young. I was only at the time, maybe 20, I was 28 years old. Um, I, I said, you know what? The heck with it. I'm just going to move to Jamaica and become a bartender at an outdoor bar by the beach. I, I don't know why I thought of that. I never had been to Jamaica at that time, but like Bob, I like reggae music and Bob Marley. So, anyway, but you know what? I began to try to help stabilize other people's emotions because this thing was out of control. So, what I began telling, you know, we had big mutual funds, pension plans calling in, like, what's going on? And the way I explained it was um, I said, well, f- fundamentally, the markets are actually strong, which they were. I said, think of it like a very healthy individual who's gotten the worst flu bug in the world. Uh, I mean, they, they feel really bad, but ultimately they're healthy and they will recover. This is different though than somebody who is chronically has medical chronic medical issues like we had in 1929. There were real issues out there. So anyway, the last hour the whole bottom dropped out and we just stood there and just watched it. Uh, uh, but uh, one thing, eventually we saw the markets down 20% for the day. So you know what I started telling my fellow traders? I said, well, because I'm already thinking about learning how to become a bartender at an outdoor bar in Jamaica. I said, well, markets are down 20%. We can only have four more days of this because this is Monday. On Friday, the markets will be at zero. We'll just take the company expense account and I guess party it up all weekend start looking for work next week or let's all move to Jamaica. Anyway, uh, they actually said they felt better. But what happened The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 508 points that day, it lost 22.6% of its value in a single day. The number of shares that traded were 600 million, which doubled the amount of shares we had ever traded on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's the end of the world, right? No. What happened the next day, Tuesday, the markets were down for the first 30 minutes and then they stabilized and the, the buy orders began to pour back in. What happened, investors began to look at it as a buying opportunity, and although it took a few months, the markets did fully recover. So that is why the stock market crash in 1929, some of you may have never heard of it, but if you're interested, just Google um, stock market crash 1987 headlines, and you'll you'll see some. You might even see me in one of the pictures. Uh, Anyway, I'm not sure if I'm not there or not, but you could look. Uh anyway, uh well, I guess you don't know what I look like if you haven't met me, but anyway, I'm the tall one, six feet six inches tall. Anyway, uh, but back to our stuff. Um the uh but yeah, uh it, it was a blip. So here's what's happened since then. The difference between the 1929 crash and the 1987 crash, 1929 crash, brokerage firms and banks were the same institution. That crash crashed the banking system. 1987, they were isolated. And since then, all of these safeguards have been put in place that to this day do limit program trading. And we have what are called trading curbs, where if the market goes down a certain amount, the market's actually automatically close. So anyway, a little brief uh, overview of what happened 34 years ago today. Hope this stuff is helping. Again, this is Bill Thompson, T-Bill, and I'll talk to everybody again soon. Take care, see ya.